Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to jump back into our series. Have you been enjoying this series on the book of Acts? Have you been enjoying the reading plan, going through Acts and reading? Uh, It's been really powerful. I wrote down at the beginning of this uh, in my notes, I wrote down, you know, as we read through this passage, or this book, we may discover the history of a church that we never knew existed. I, I don't know if that has been your experience yet as you're reading through, but I'm reading through this book again, and I'm seeing things I forgot about. I'm seeing things, and I've got, oh, oh, I, di- I didn't catch that the last time. I, 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 oh, I missed that. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. That, that Paul went to Lystra and, and he went to Iconium. I forgot that he did this and he did that. You follow what I'm saying? It's just really cool to, to relearn the history of who we are as a church. I want, I want you to understand these are your people. <laughs> these are your people. Everybody's got people, right? Y'all got people? Well, these are your people. These are our people. Paul, he's my people because he he, he's, he's like that older cousin that's way back in the family tree that, you know, did some stuff that fortunately set our family in the right direction. We're, we're, reading, we're reading our own family history when we read the book of Acts, and that's encouraging. So I want to give you a summary of chapters 13 through 16 this morning, and boy, this was, this was probably the longest, most difficult summary for me to write out of all of these yet, because so much stuff happens in chapters 13 through 16. I mean, it is loaded. So y'all bear with me. We're going to try to get through everything today uh, in a timely fashion because we got to go watch a soccer game at 3 o'clock. Amen? Hallelujah. In, in Acts chapter 13, we have left Peter behind in Jerusalem. And the story now shifts once again to Saul, who in this chapter now starts to be referred to as Paul. And we uh, also pick up the story of Barnabas again. They are in the city of Antioch, again, which is in modern-day Turkey, the southernmost part of modern-day Turkey, with a group of five men who are listed as prophets and teachers. They are recorded as being in a time of fasting and prayer when the Spirit of God speaks to them and appoints Barnabas and Saul into the ministry. They depart from Antioch and sail to the island of Cyprus with a young man named John Mark as their assistant. Here they encounter a sorcerer and false prophet in the city of Paphos, who was influencing the local political leader, a man named Sergius Paulus. Aren't you glad your parents didn't name you Sergius Paulus? As well as resisting Paul and Barnabas. Paul confronts this prophet boldly, and he is stricken blind for a short time. During that time, Sergius Paulus is astonished by the power of God and becomes a believer. Continuing on, Paul and Barnabas also minister in the city of Perga and again in Antioch. They spend their time in the Jewish synagogues, dialoguing with the Jewish leaders about the validity of Jesus as the Messiah whom the Jews were still looking for. During this time, many Jews in the city were converted and the Gentiles of the city begged for Paul and Barnabas to preach to them the following Sabbath. That's a pretty good situation, right? 
when people are begging you to preach. Now in, now in 2021, it's the opposite. You're like begging people, please come to church and listen to what we have to say. That's pretty good when God's spirit is moving and the people are actually begging you to preach. Amen. Hey, that's the template. Let's get back to that. Amen. The following week, almost the entire city came to hear the message of the gospel preached. This made the leaders of the synagogue upset and jealous, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Ain't it just like some good old church folks to wreak havoc on other church folks when God starts moving? Amen. We're not always real good about that, guys. <clears throat> Yet the Gentiles rejoiced that the gospel had been preached to them, and Paul and Barnabas moved on. In chapter 14, they traveled to the city of Iconium and preached to great multitudes of people. The preaching of the gospel is marked with great signs and wonders, and yet again, the local Jewish leaders stir up trouble for the apostles, poisoning the Gentiles against the Jews. Hold on, I lost my place. I accidentally X'd out of the document. The problem with having notes on an iPad. Sorry. <laughs> Yet the Gentiles rejoiced that the gospel had been preached to them, and Paul and Barnabas moved on. Oh. The local Jewish leaders yet again stir up trouble for the apostles, poisoning the Gentiles against the Jews. After an attempt to stone them, Paul and Barnabas escaped to the cities of Lystra and Derbe. In Lystra, a lame man is completely healed of his deformity, and the people of that city believe Paul and Barnabas to be the mythological Greek gods Zeus and Hermes. Isn't that wild? Paul and Barnabas are deeply grieved by this and preach vigorously to convince the people otherwise, pointing them back to the true gospel of Christ Jesus. During this time, the Jews followed the apostles from Antioch and Iconium and came to Lystra and stoned Paul. Paul can't seem to get a break. Every town he goes to, he preaches the gospel, the gospel explodes, tons of people get saved, the Jews get mad, and they try to kill him. He escapes, goes to the next city, and they follow him. I will tell you, because I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that Paul, before he was converted, he would stop at nothing to smother the gospel. He would travel weeks and weeks by foot from one town to another to, to smother the gospel. I'm going to tell you, the religious spirit knows no boundaries when it comes time to try to shut down the move of God. Amen. The religious spirit knows no boundaries when trying to shut down a move of God. During this time, the Jews followed the apostles from Antioch and Iconium and came to Lystra and stoned Paul. Dragging him out of the city, they assumed him to be dead. However, he is surrounded outside the city by the believers from Lystra, and he rises up from presumed death, returning to the city of Derby. How bold is this guy that he got stoned in the city, dragged out of the city, got raised from the dead, and went right back into the city? Oh, I can't wait to meet Paul. After preaching the gospel again in Derby, they boldly returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, all places where they were tried to get killed. Amazing. 
All the places where they had been persecuted, they traveled to in order, watch this, to strengthen the believers there by preaching to them. What love and boldness. I tell you what, when you mix love and boldness together, you cannot be stopped. Amen. That was a good place to say amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) After continued travel throughout the region, they settled back into Antioch and stayed there with the church for quite some time. Conflict now arises in chapter 15 because a group of men known later as the Judaizers because of their attempts to insert Jewish tradition into Christianity, disturbed the church in Antioch by teaching the believers there that in order to be saved, you must also be circumcised. It's probably tough if you're a woman and got saved, right? This prompts a council in Jerusalem of Peter, along with the other apostles, Paul and Barnabas. It is determined during this council that salvation is not based on the outward act of circumcision, but rather by the grace of God. So a response is taken by Paul and Barnabas back to the believers in Antioch, communicating this good news to them and encouraging them to abstain from certain carnal practices. After this, Paul and Barnabas part ways after a disagreement over who they should take with them on their next missionary journey. Barnabas chooses John Mark, and Paul chooses to travel with Silas, and later a young disciple named Timothy. In chapter 16, Timothy joins Paul and Silas as Paul begins his second missionary journey. Attempting to go to two different cities to preach, Paul is forbidden by the Holy Spirit and instead is redirected to Macedonia, a northern region in Greece, after seeing a vision of a man pleading for Paul to come there. After successful ministry there, Paul and Silas travel to Philippi, where they conduct great ministry while staying in the home of a woman named Lydia. They are unfortunately thrown into jail after casting a demon out of a young slave girl by the employees of that girl who could no longer profit from the girl's fortune-telling. Bummer. During that, I mean, how sick do you have to be that you, you watch somebody get free from a demon and you're like... That's no good for business. Let's throw these guys in jail. Telling you, man. Anyways, during their time in jail, they sing praises to the Lord and are freed from their chains after the jail is shaken by the power of God. This Philippian jailer, after seeing the doors of the jail flung open, prepares to take his own life. However, Paul urges him to stop, leading him instead to the Lord. That night, the jailer takes Paul and Silas into his home, feeding them and caring for their wounds. As a result, the jailer's entire family is saved and baptized that night. The following day, Paul and Silas depart, intent on carrying the gospel to the remainder of the known world. Isn't that awesome? I told you these four chapters had a lot in them. A lot, a lot, a lot in them. But we're going to do like we've done for the previous chapters, and we're going to look at uh, at least one statement from each chapter to try to grasp what God is saying in those chapters. So beginning in chapter 13, we come upon a very interesting, (coughs) excuse me, we come upon a very interesting scenario, and that is that in Antioch, there's this group of people, mentions five names, starts with Barnabas and ends with Saul. Now in biblical writing, the people who were most important are always mentioned first. And it's a hierarchical way of writing. Luke wrote Barnabas' name first 
in Acts 13.2. And the reason was because Barnabas, up until this point, was leading Paul around. Barnabas was the one who vouched for Paul four or five chapters ago and said, no, no, this guy is actually really a believer and he's preaching and he's doing some amazing things. So what's happened now is by the time we get to chapter 13, Paul has been preaching for about 14 years. Again, the timeline of Acts boggles my mind because in chapter 9, he gets converted on the road to Damascus. By chapter 13, just four chapters later, He's been preaching for 14 years at this point. But I can read those in about eight minutes. So you kind of got to pay attention to the timeline so that we don't get thrown off a little bit, okay? So Paul has been in ministry and Barnabas has been the leader. And the two of them have been traveling around for the past decade and a half preaching in all these different cities and the places that they would go. They've been in Antioch, they've been in Jerusalem, uh, and they've been in a couple other places as well. Barnabas is mentioned first, Saul is mentioned at the end, and then the Holy Spirit speaks in verse 2. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So there's this this company of prophets and teachers, and Barnabas and Saul are there, and the Holy Spirit moves on them. How many of you know it's a good it's a good place to be uh, with friends, fasting and praying? That's just a great environment. Amen. You're never going to go wrong hanging out with like people of like precious faith and spend time in the presence of the Lord together. <clears throat> That's never going to be a bad idea. Amen. So they're in the middle of this fasting time and prayer time, and God says something really interesting. Separate Paul and Barnabas to the work that I've called them to. Well, wait a minute, Lord. Hasn't hasn't Paul already been preaching for 14 years? What do you mean, Paul, you're allowed to start your ministry? Does that strike anybody besides me as kind of odd? Chapter 14 Starts in 48 AD, many years down the road from when Paul has been converted. And a lot of what we see in chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 deal with the nuance of timing in God's kingdom. One of the big takeaways from from today and from these past four chapters is the nuance of timing in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. How is it that Paul could have been spending 14 years investing himself in the ministry, and it's only when we get to chapter 13 in Antioch that God actually says, okay, Paul, now you're ready to start your ministry. Wait a minute. God, what have I been doing for 14 years? I thought this was ministry. Well, it was. It was called preparation. Amen. You see, the language that God uses here by separating uh, Paul into his ministry, by telling Paul, okay, Paul, now you're ready to start to do the thing that I've called you to do. By seeing that in this passage, it, it, it tells me something. It tells me, number one, that preparation time is absolutely necessary. Amen? And it tells me, number two, that preparation time is never wasted. 
Amen. Are y'all awake this morning? Pinch your neighbor in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. (laughs) All the kids in the front row took that very literally. (laughs) No, guys, preparation time is absolutely necessary, number one. Number two, preparation time is never wasted. Never wasted. You say, but Pastor Josh... When am I going to get to step into my ministry? I feel like I've been doing stuff for a while. I feel like I've been faithful. Good. Keep being faithful. The Bible says the faithful man abounds with blessing. Don't stop. For heaven's sake, just because you feel like you haven't been released into the ministry yet and you feel like you're called to do something, keep doing what you're doing and let God open the door because when he opens the door, no man can close it. You might have been being groomed for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Moses was a shepherd before he was a deliverer. Amen. God called him. God spoke to him. Y'all remember the burning bush? Moses, take your sandals off the place you stand. It's holy ground. Go and deliver my people. You know that didn't happen for another 40 years? Amen. Moses was a shepherd before he was a deliverer. David killed a lion and a bear before he ever killed Goliath. Amen. Peter was a fisher of fish before he was a fisher of men. Preparation time is never wasted. Never wasted. My father, when he got saved, somebody prophesied over him and said, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. I'm going to send you to nations to minister on my behalf. And he was like 21. And he's like, what do I do? Do I go book a plane ticket? He didn't have any connections. He didn't have any contacts. It was like 25 years later, the first time he went to Kenya. And he was standing. Actually, he was in Uganda. And he went to Uganda. And he's standing, getting ready to address several thousand pastors. And he's sitting on the stage as they get ready to announce his name. And as he stands up to walk to the platform, the Holy Spirit stopped him halfway to the platform and said, Do you remember the prophecy that I gave you when you were 21? He said, Today's the beginning of that. Preparation time is never wasted. Amen. Now, what do they do with this word from God? Well, they immediately go out and start preaching. Amen. Because once God opens the door, buddy, you better walk through it. Amen. Do what you've been gifted and graced to do. So in chapter 14, we see them ministering (coughs) in a hostile environment. I'm so thankful that Paul and Barnabas didn't punk out. Y'all know what I mean when I say that? I'm so thankful that they didn't just go, oh man, this ministry thing's hard. Let's go back to tent making. I'm going to go back to the synagogue, man. It was way more comfortable there. No. They went into the place that God sent them. We get to chapter 14 and you look at verse 20. This is awesome. Actually, let's look at verse 19 first. Chapter 14, verse 19 says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. 
However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. That's, the, that's our key statement from chapter 14. He rose up and went into the city. I wrote down one thing when I read that verse. You just can't keep a good man down. Come on, you just can't keep a good man down. Oh, listen, the, the power of God and the grace of God always trumps the devil's little temper tantrums. Come on, the power of God is always more present, more available, and more potent than any little hissy fit that the devil wants to throw. Oh, Paul's preaching to the people in this room. Get some folks to stone him. And what do they do? They stone him, and what happens? He gets back up again. Somebody throw a rock at me? Let's go. I got some preaching to do. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing that Paul not only goes back to the crime scene, I mean, how, <laughs> how many people do you know would have, a, you know, an attempted murder on them, then they get dragged out to the edge of town, they get up and they go back to the scene of the crime. He turns around, goes right back to the city and says, throw rocks at me if you want to. I don't care. Today's a great day to die for Jesus. I'm here to preach the gospel. I love the absolute boldness of this man, Paul. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Boldness from the Holy Spirit will cause you to do wild and unconventional things for God's kingdom. Amen. Boldness from the Holy Spirit will cause you to do wild and unconventional things for God's kingdom. There's a reason <clears throat> that we titled this series Bold. It's because the theme of boldness comes up so many times in the book of Acts, over and over and over. Do we find the apostles, the people of God, the servants of God, those who are Christians in the book of Acts, over and over again, we find them doing outlandish things for the sake of God's kingdom. And it stands as such a stark contrast in the midst of a, of a society who won't cross the street out of discomfort. Don't let me get on my soapbox for a second there, Miss Willie, because I'll start telling the truth on some people. We won't even, listen, we get bent out of shape when they get our order wrong at Chick-fil-A. Okay, you won't believe how long I was in the drive-thru yesterday. Okay, get over it. We got a job to do. Right. Amen, we got a job. To, there's a world out there to reach, and we cannot be numbered amongst those who resist diligence and won't do anything just because it might be mildly uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about Jesus on my workplace because people will get mad at me. Have they stoned you yet? Okay, these guys took big giant boulders and threw them at Paul's head, right? You can't keep a good man down. We should say it this way. You can't keep a bold man down. You can't keep a bold woman down. Determine in your heart that you're going to do something that heaven will remember. Selah. You may want to write that down or tweet it or something. Determine in your heart that you're going to do something for God that heaven will remember. Now let's keep going into chapter 15. Y'all doing okay so far? Everybody still love me? 
even though I'm ruffling your feathers a little bit this morning. Acts 15, we come upon this, this crisis moment, this moment of, of um, disagreement, this moment where the church has got to take a step back for a second and, and identify its doctrinal position, okay? This is a moment where there's some question about, hey, what do we actually believe here? There's some people that have come into the church to try to poison the gospel with bad doctrine. As I said, this was a group called the Judaizers. They were trying to add to the doctrine of grace, saying you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. Paul presses hard against that idea because he understands that the work of God's grace is a complete work. Everybody say complete work. Watch this. You and I can never add to or take away from what the grace of God does in the heart of a human being. You cannot make your salvation more complete by doing something or by not doing something. If you could, God's grace would have limitations. Ooh, come on, somebody. If you could add to your salvation and make it more complete, it would mean that there was something lacking in the grace of God. It would mean that God's grace is, in fact, not limitless. But that's not true. In fact, Paul takes an entire book called the book of Galatians to tell us all about why that's not true. Can we we go over there? I think we got time for this. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Just hold your finger in Acts 14 for a second. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Watch this. Oh, this is so good. Tell your neighbor, this is going to be good. Oh, my God, it's going to be so good. Galatians chapter 3. Watch this. Verse 1. What's it say? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth before whom's eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This I only want to learn from you. Watch this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Watch this. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, are you so foolish to believe that what God did in your heart by his spirit, you're now going to add something to it by adding your flesh into the equation? How dumb. How dumb. The Greek is really strong on verse 1. It says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The word bewitched means to dangle a crystal in front of your eye. You are getting very sleepy. That's what it means. Who has, who has dangled a crystal in front of you and, and bewitched you and deceived you into this idea that you could somehow add to God's perfect grace? Wow, that's staggering. Yet that's what these Judaizers were attempting to do to Paul. In fact, they would travel when Paul would leave a city, like we just saw them go from Antioch to Iconium, from Iconium to Lystra, from Lystra to Derby. Okay, that's, if you want to know, that's out in Avery County, by the way. 
And so here, here they get out to Derby, okay, just out there in Avery. And, and every time they would go to a new city, when they would leave, Judaizers would come into the previous city and start to pollute their doctrine. And they'd, pull, they'd go to the church, all these folks that just got saved, just found out Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They're so pumped that they can be called redeemed. Glory to God, I'm free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Let's go to church together and have a picnic, and glory to God, we're good. Who are these people? Oh, hello, Mr. Judaizer. What? I got to get circumcised too? Ouch. I'm 40 years old. You're telling me this now? <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't act like you're not laughing on the inside. <clears throat> no, they come to them with this wacky doctrine saying that you, you got to, if you really want to be saved, yeah, Jesus is good. He's the Messiah. He's important. But you got to keep the feasts. And you got to keep the law perfectly. And you got to be circumcised. And you can't eat shrimp anymore. And you can't do all the things you love anymore because you gotta be a, you got to be a good Jew. But they're like, we're not Jewish. And so they actually, the Bible says it really clear in chapter 15, they get troubled because they're caught between the truth and a lie. Have you ever been caught between the truth and a lie and you don't know which one is true? They're, they're perplexed. They're troubled in their hearts. And so Paul and, and, and Silas return back or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas return back from Jerusalem with this message of hope and say, guess what, guys? You can't add anything to your, you can't add anything to your salvation. But this group of Judaizers was so, was such a pain and was such an annoyance. <clears throat> most, or a lot of theologians, I won't say most, a lot of theologians believe widely that this group of Judaizers is the thorn that Paul talks about when he says, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. The thorn in his flesh that people talk about. You've, you've, you've heard a lot of people say, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? I believe with my whole heart it was this group of Judaizers that were going behind him polluting the gospel. Now, he gets to Acts 15, uh, 16, and man, I'm running out of time, so I just got to keep moving. Y'all doing okay? You get to Acts 16, and something really interesting happens. The phrase I want to take comes out of verse 7. Acts 16, verse 7. And it's actually, we're going to read from verse 6. I'm sorry, guys. We'll back up to 6, and we'll read 7 as well. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden, everybody say forbidden, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That's a mind bender to me. That's like, what? Why would the Holy Spirit tell them not to preach somewhere? That don't make any sense. Now go on to verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, again, Avery County, but the Spirit did not permit them to. So here's two places that they go. They travel to two places on their way to two other places, and the Holy Spirit in both cases says, eh, don't go there. Don't preach the gospel to those people. That had to mess with Paul's head so substantially. That had to mess with him. Once again, this chapter is about timing. Because what happens? If you keep going, 
Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And it was that vision that prompted Paul to say, oh, that's where God wants us to go. You see, the Holy Spirit is heaven's surgeon. The Holy Spirit is, is God's clinical, methodical surgeon. He, he, he's not reckless. He's not careless. He doesn't, he doesn't go into a situation and just blow it up because he's not paying attention. He's surgically precise, and the Holy Spirit knows exactly where the greatest need is and where the best, most ripest fruit is. Paul was just going off of his direction from Jesus, the head of the church. You remember when Jesus appeared to him in Acts chapter 9 on the way to Damascus? He, he gave him instruction. He told him where to go. And then in, 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 verse, in, in chapter 13, he says, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. Now I'm ready for you guys to start doing it. And so Paul's like, let's go, man. We got the direction from heaven. Let's do it. And they just start going to town after town after town after town. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, pump the brakes, Paul. Time out. I actually don't want you to go here, and I actually don't want you to go there because I have a more strategic opportunity for you in Macedonia. God knows where the need is the greatest and where the fruit is the ripest. Once again, this chapter is about timing. Sometimes, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Sometimes the motive and the message are right, but the timing is wrong. Once again, if you've, <clears throat> if you've been in a season where you feel like, man, I just don't feel like I'm being used by God. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. Oh, man, I missed it for so many years. Oh, I screwed up so many times. Get rid of all that thinking. Trash that stuff. Wait for the moment from God to release you. <clears throat> the Bible says in the book of Galatians that in the fullness of time, Christ came to the earth. In other words, when the moment was absolutely primed and perfect for the arrival of Jesus, here he came. When the moment was perfect in Macedonia for Paul and Barnabas, or excuse me, for Paul and Silas, that's when they went. The message was good. The motive was good. The timing wasn't right. <clears throat> Sometimes the timing and the message are right and the motive's wrong. Hello. Sometimes the timing and the motive is right and the message is wrong. What is the point? Be led by the Spirit of God. Sometimes you got the right heart and you might even have the right word to preach but the timing's not right for that. Jesus himself said to the disciples in John chapter 14, <clears throat> he said, I have many things that I wish to tell you, but you cannot bear them right now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will lead you and guide you into all the truth. Even Jesus himself was restricted by the capacity of the people he was speaking to. Did you know that there's been times, I, I've wanted to preach this series on the book of Acts for like two years, 
Why, why are we doing it now in 2021? Because I got a green light. Because I got on the inside the whole time. Okay, yeah, let's do it now. I, <clears throat> when we first started this church, I wanted to preach a series on faith. And I want to say it was almost four years before I preached faith as a series. It took some time. And sometimes the, the moment is right and your motive might be right. But you got to find out what's the message for that moment. And then sometimes the message is right and the timing's right and your heart's not right. And the motive ain't right. What's the point? Be led by the Spirit of God. Be led by the Spirit of God. Paul was sensitive enough to the voice of the Spirit that he corrected what he was doing in order to follow where God wanted him to be. May we all be that kind of humble. May we all function with that kind and that level of humility. The point is, be led by the Spirit. Expect the Spirit of God to lead you, watch this, expect the Spirit of God to lead you by preventing you when you're about to make a misstep rather than have to jumpstart you while you're doing nothing. Amen. Not as many amens on that one. I'm going to say it one more time. Expect the Spirit of God to lead you by preventing you or holding you back when you're already moving, when you're about to make a misstep rather than having to crank you up while you're doing nothing. The Holy Spirit leads us by giving us his peace, but that peace often requires us to already be moving. Paul is not sitting around in Antioch waiting for another vision from Jesus to tell him what to do. He says, Silas, let's go, man. Come on, get up. Where are we going, Paul? I don't know. We're going to this city over here. Eh, no, not that one. Okay, let's try this city. Eh, not that one. Where are we going to go, Paul? Macedonia. Okay, let's go. Paul was not sitting around on his blessed assurance waiting for another Jesus vision. He wasn't, well, I don't know. Well, you know, brother, we're just waiting to be led. Get up and do something. Amen, Frankie. I mean, listen, can I be honest with you and a little bit of blunt and, and a little bit ornery. Get up and do something for crying out loud. <laughs> do something for Jesus. I mean, do something for God. Listen, if it's not going to be the right thing, he'll tell you before you do it. If it's going to be the wrong thing, he'll stop you before. He, he loves you enough to not just throw you out there and let you fumble your way around. If it's not the right thing, he'll stop you before you do it. But for heaven's sake, start moving. Don't, don't be like, well, I, you know, I'm going to do something as soon as God tells me to do it. How many more scriptures do you need that have action words in them before you start to say, I need to, do, I need to get busy for Jesus? I, you know what? I'm all about being led by the peace of God. But you know what? Anybody ever ride a bicycle? The bicycle's no good if you're not moving. It's so easy to change direction when you're moving on a bicycle. But you know what? When you're not moving, you're not even on the bike because you can't just be on a bike and sit there. Am I lying, Frankie? You can't be on a bike and just sit there. It's real easy to course correct. I used to ride 
I know you can't tell by the way I look, but I used to, I used to, I used to ride a road bike, and we actually used to ride this road. We used to ride bamboo coming here, and then we would go wrap around it. Anyways, I used to, this, this was part of one of my loops. And I'm here to tell you, when you're going 40 miles an hour downhill, it's real easy to turn. In fact, it's so easy, you don't even have to turn the handlebars. All you do is lean a little bit. And if you've ever ridden a horse, it's the same way. Once you get that horse moving, it's so easy. You don't have to jerk their head the other direction. You just just real gentle. It's so easy for God to steer you in the direction he wants you to go when you're already moving. You know how hard it is to turn a bike around when you're standing still? you got to pick it up and move it. And it gets real difficult when your feet are clipped into the pedals. And you're wearing spandex. I've been there. Y'all, I used to shave my legs. It was serious. It was serious. <laughs> Amen. Amen. TMI, baby. TMI. When it, listen, let me leave you with this question today. When are we going to let the Holy Spirit lead us? To the degree that we trust his direction and we trust his timing. When are we collectively, when are you individually, when are you as a family, in your marriage, on your job, whatever the case may be, when are we going to get to the point and get to the place where we're actually willing to let the Holy Spirit direct us in his direction and in his timing? When you're moving, all it takes is a whisper. Go this way. Lean left. Lean right. Speed up. Slow down. Go this way. Go that way. Watch out for this pothole. Watch out for this, watch out for this patch of gravel. You see, the Bible says, you, the Bible says that when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll lead you and guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come, the Bible says. Isaiah says that you'll hear a voice behind you saying, go this way, go that way. This is the way. Walk in it. But you've got to be moving. You've got to be moving. Amen. God can't direct somebody Standing still in a parking lot. He can't, he can't guide you and graciously adjust your path if you're not on the path yet. So I want to encourage us today. Let's get busy for Jesus. Amen? You say, well, I don't know what, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not, I'm not like Gracie. I don't, I'm not supposed to have a woman's conference. I can't preach. Can I tell you something? You got a church. Amen. The kids are wrestling over here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? You might not be called to preach to a bunch of people. You might not be called to go do this and do that, but you got a church that you belong to. Amen. Bring somebody. Amen. Invite somebody. Talk to your next door neighbor about Jesus. It's not hard. Go over. Do this. You got a next door neighbor? Yeah, okay. Bake some cookies. You don't even have to make them from scratch. Get you one of them little logs. 
My wife loves cookie dough. She will eat it out of the log with a spoon. Loves it. I tell you what, I'll do one better. Don't even get the little log. Get the one where the squares are pre-portioned in the packet. Break them off. Put them in the oven. Bake them things and pick a neighbor. Doesn't matter. Start walking towards somebody's house. I guarantee you, God will tell you, no, it's not that house, it's this house. Or he'll say, yeah, keep going. Take them cookies over and say, hey, I want you to know that Jesus loves you so much. I made you some cookies because Jesus loves you and I love you too. And your life counts. Where did you hear that? At our church called Hope Church. You should be there on Sunday. I'll pick you up. You say, I, I, I want to do something for Jesus, but I don't have any grand plans. Just start where you are. Start somewhere. Start with cookies. Start by, start by praying for somebody when you see that they're down. You do realize you have the answer, right? Dan was telling me last week, he works over at Publix. If you need a sandwich, you go see him. He'll make it for you, and he does a phenomenal job. I know, because he's made me some sandwiches. But he, he's been working, uh, you've been working in the dish pit over there too, right? Washing stuff. He told me this last week, he goes, I've just turned the dish pit at Publix into the Holy of Holies. I said, that's awesome, man. And you know what? He's such a vocal He's such a vocal proponent for the kingdom of God. He talks to everybody that he works with about Jesus. Start somewhere. Just do something. Why, why does history remember Paul? Because he did something. Because he just got up and said, I'm not going to stay in Jerusalem. I'm not going to be an old man in Antioch wishing that I did something for God. Just start where you are, man. Start with what you got. The Holy Spirit will guide you. He'll direct you. Get on the bike. Start pedaling. He'll show you which way to lean. He's smarter than you. He's smarter than me. Amen? Just touch your neighbor. Say, do something. Just, just tell the person on the other side, do something. Do something. You may not have a grandiose call, but you got a church, and you got people around you that have needs, and you got a message in your heart. Amen? Let's stand up to our feet. That's we hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.